For, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Nathan Phillips, and uh, I'm an elder here at Missio Day. And I, I just want to say that I'm really excited to be up here this morning. Um, as I've prepared this message, as I read through the scripture, as I poured over commentary and what other people's kind of glean from these words, uh, God has just really been stirring in my heart and revealing to me what it is to live my life in a way that brings glory to his name. A life of worship. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is worship. <clears throat> I don't know how to cough with this mic because we can't turn away from it. Um, some questions that, that initially started stirring in my head as I read through this is things like what is worship? What does it mean to live our lives as worship to our Christ? What is our worship costing us? Is it costing us anything? According to the ever-accurate Wikipedia, worship is, literally means giving worth, or worth-ship, or giving worth to. Worth-ship. Um, and although that's, that's a tidy little definition for the word, I think as Christians, when we look at what it is to worship our God, we need to, to turn to a little bit more reliable of a source. We're not going to find the answers on Wikipedia. And what God has, has been laying in my heart is that worship is the giving of ourselves to bring Him glory. It's giving who we are, everything inside of us, for no other reason but to give God the glory. And today we're going to look at, at one of those acts of worship. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty amazing one. It's one that Jesus Himself says is going to go down in history. So as, as we read through this, I want you guys to, to be thinking through this. What is worship? What is worship in your life? If you'll open your Bibles, there's Bibles down the, the sides and the aisles. Uh, in those Bibles, it's page 850. We're going to be going through Mark 14, 1 to 11. And this, this passage is an interesting sandwich of Scripture. We have at the beginning uh, these, these rather devious men who are scared and want to retain this power. And at the end, we, we see an act of a singular devious person who, again, is scared and selfish. But in the middle, in the middle of this, we see this woman, this woman that, that we know to be Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, come into this room where Jesus is sharing a meal and perform this beautiful, genuine, completely not self-seeking act that does nothing but glorify Jesus. So if you'll read with me, starting at verse 1. It says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some that said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. 
For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray, betray him. I invite you to keep your Bible open to that, because we're going to walk through it pretty much verse by verse. We enter this story coming off of Jesus talking about the end times, about his return, about hardship, but about the promise of new life. Jesus' message is spreading, and people are, are really latching on, and some people are even thinking that he, he might be it. This guy might have something. He may be the Messiah. And for this reason, the chief religious leaders of the time have already decided to put him to death, that Jesus needs to die. As we look at this, we're, we're two days before Passover. Pretty big deal. A lot of people will be around, and they don't want to move in on Jesus and cause a riot. The chief, the chief leaders are looking for some sly way to sneak in behind the veil and take Jesus and kill him and not upset as many people as they can. So they've, they've made this decision to wait till after the feast to do so. You see that the same people that the chief leaders want to retain control of, they fear. They fear them because these people are listening to Jesus and they don't want to cause a riot. And then suddenly in verse 3 we shift gears. Mark takes us to Bethany. He takes us into the home of Simon the leper. A man who Jesus had earlier healed. And during this meal, a woman enters. She cracks open this flask of pure nard, which is a very expensive perfume. And you could imagine the fragrance that came from that, filling the room. She cracks open this, this flask and pours it onto Jesus' head, all of it, anointing his body. And immediately, she's scolded by those that are there. These people in the room are saying that, that this perfume, this perfume is worth more than a year's wages for the common worker. It could have been sold and used to feed the poor. And this scolding, the scolding that we see is more than just a low rumble. This isn't just a few people disagreeing or talking quietly amongst themselves. In fact, the word scolded here is translated from a word which is a verb, and it means a mean snort or a roar, often associated with the noise a horse makes. These people were loudly protesting this act. I found that to be a rather interesting response. A lot of the people in the room are Jesus' own disciples that have walked with him. And here this woman is giving all she has She's stepping out. She's stepping into a room where she probably wasn't invited. 
She's putting herself out there just to enter into Jesus' presence and pour this expensive perfume onto his body. And again, the others in the room, some being his own disciples, completely missed the point. We see how she gave. We see what her sacrifice was. And my question as I was preparing this is, what does my devotion to Christ cost me, if anything? Is there any deprivation or any inconvenience on my part in how I worship Jesus Christ? She did what she could. How about us? Many of us, maybe I'm speaking for too many of us, I, and maybe some of you, I know I in my head had these visions of these big things that I want to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and be radical. I'm going to show people that I love Jesus Christ, not by what I say, but what I do. But when the rubber hits the road, often my choice is to lay low and not stir any pots. Here Mary takes her act of worship from her heart to her hands to her pocketbook to her Savior. She follows through. She doesn't care about stirring pots. Her only concern is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Mary is revealing to ourselves what it is to really give ourselves in worship, what it is to really be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. What she gives here, this beautiful but imperfect gift, goes right along with what Jesus is preparing himself to do. And that's give of his beautiful himself as a beautiful and sufficient gift for us all. And now Jesus at this point, he'd been talking about his death on several occasions. And, and the disciples, they didn't really hear it. They still didn't get it. We've seen this throughout Mark. That the people that are even walking right alongside him don't track. They don't understand what he's saying to them. Maybe it's because they don't want to. Maybe it's because they don't have the capacity to. I don't know. But Mary here, Mary maybe is starting to get it. She's starting to understand a little bit. And she does what she could to bring glory to her king. And I know that I have such a limited view of what worship is. Worship to me can be singing. It's coming to church. But I don't always think of how I can be worshiping God throughout the week. How I give of my time, talents, and treasure to my Savior. It's what I fill my mind with. It's what we all fill our minds with. When my girls are in bed and I have some time to myself, I don't often turn to the scriptures. I'll flip on the TV and see what's on and just put more junk in my head. My question, as I look at what we're filling our time with, what we're filling our head with, is how do we as Christians portray that we're Christians? Do we look at culture and say, wow, this is what they're doing. I'm going to fit in, but you know what? Almost every Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church. I'm a Christian. I got it. That's not what it is. How are we giving of ourselves, our whole person, to bring glory to God? Mary doesn't look at this jar on the shelf in her house and think, wow, you know what? I, I should take this because I know Jesus is around, 
and I, I should go anoint him. I really feel this is on my heart. And then set that jar down and think, but you know what? I have to finish the dishes, and I should probably check my email. And I know I TiVo'd some shows that I really want to catch up with. So, you know what? Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. She follows through. And then when she gets there, she walks into this room, and she cracks open this expensive perfume, and she pours it all out. She doesn't pour out a tenth of it, measuring it exactly. She gives of everything she has. Mary follows through in this act of worship with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her strength, and with all of her mind. In this act, she's living out the greatest commandment. And she's doing this even in the face of resistance. Even in the face of resistance from Jesus' own disciples who snort at her for it. As I read through this section of scripture, how Mary makes this choice to come in and do this, I couldn't help but let my mind wander to the Camiolas. The Camiolas are our family that uh, we as a church support who do missionary work over in Africa. Uh, I met with with John, Paul and I, and um, Matt and Andy met with John a while ago before we made the decision to support them and heard his story and uh, how he was raised. And I know he came here and shared some of that on a Sunday morning as well. And all I could think of is this family, this married couple with four children who have jobs and a comfortable life in the U.S., they've chosen to move their kids, move their family, uproot themselves from their friends, and move to Africa to live a life of worship. As you go to their website, Sarah was sharing yesterday at Leadership, reading through their blog, they have some amazing experiences. Not only had they made the choice to to go to Africa, but once they got there, they chose to open their home to a foster child. A child that didn't have a home, that, that just needed a place to be loved. What's become very obvious in their example of how they worship to me is that their hearts are breaking for the people that they're serving. But before their hearts could even break, Christ moved in their hearts. And their act of worship is nothing more than a response of how Christ has first moved in them. We're going to move on. In in verses 4 and 5, we see how the people in the room scold her. And they say, you know, this, this could have been sold and given to the poor. Something in my person doesn't believe that that Judas would have taken this money and sold it and gave 100% of it to the poor. I think the disciples lacked follow-through. I think the disciples, because of their selfishness, they completely missed this beautiful act of worship because they can't see past their own faith. How often do we miss moments? We get caught up. We flip on the TV. We log onto the Internet. We check our email, Facebook, whatever it is. What we do is recreation. What we want as earthly possessions. And while all these things aren't necessarily bad, my question is, in our choices, where is God? I wonder if we really understand the sinfulness of sin or the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. And I wonder, too, if his disciples understood that. Would a simple jar of perfume have been too much for their Savior? There's not enough that we can do. 
we can turn off our TV, we can turn off the computer, we can carve out intentional time in our day to read the Bible. But in the end, the reality is we come to Christ only because he comes to us first. And Mary's response to how Christ has worked in her life, they've had a relationship. We read about it. She wanted to just sit at his feet when he was in her house and just take him in. She was the one that ran out to him after her brother had died and been in the, in the ground for three days. We know that Mary and Jesus had this relationship. And her response, although beautiful, isn't, is not sufficient. Only Christ's willing sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to save us from our sins. And we are to live our lives in a manner that reflects that gift. Christ's willing death on a cross for us. And what we're called to do is live our life that reflects the reception of that gift. And if we really do that, if we really live our lives as that reflection, what would our worship look like? I think it's a matter of heart. We see Mary follow through and do what she can for her Savior. We see some other people in the room arguing that this jar could have been sold and given to the poor. It's such a stark contrast to me that these people that have walked with Jesus, they still don't get it. They still don't understand that Jesus is worth a jar of perfume. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our attention. He is worthy of everything that we have and are all of the time. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just at worship practice. Not just at tutoring. Not just at leadership community. All of the time. I love Jesus' response to the people in the room. He quiets them down and he points out their lack of understanding. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. He recognizes her act of worship. He says she had done what she could. Or literally translated, he says what she had, she did. I like that translation. What she had, she did. It shows us that there's not a formula to worship. There's no steps of how to get closer to God. He desires who we are and not what we have. Daily, we're called to give of ourselves to him, to make us less and him more. What she had, she did. Mary, in this story, and the woman, the widow with two small coins, that we heard about last week have a lot in common, or a couple weeks ago, have a lot in common. These two women know what it is to give to God out of who they are and what they have. Not out of their abundance, not out of their overflow, not out of their convenience, but out of who they are. And it's a harsh contrast to the teachers of the day. The teachers that we heard about that take widows' homes that give loudly and extravagantly in the temple, not for God's glory, 
but for their own recognition. And here Mary stands against Judas, who in a few verses we hear about his acceptance to betray Jesus. She stands against Christ's own pious disciples, whose words are cheap and have no follow-through. Jesus continues answering the people in the room's complaints with, you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. And in this, he's not saying don't help the poor. In fact, he's referencing Deuteronomy 15.11 where it says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand, open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Jesus wants us to know that what she has done for him is significant. It's significant not because it was expensive, because God doesn't need our money. It's significant not because it took guts to do. God doesn't need our courage. It's significant because what Mary had done, this beautiful thing for Jesus, had nothing to do with what she would gain for it. She did it purely to glorify and honor Jesus. And the gospel calls us as Christian, Christians to help those in need. But first it calls us to an unrestrained adoration of Jesus Christ. The text points, points us to a total adoration of Christ. And from that adoration, our natural response of how God first came into us, our worship, needs to be to help the poor. It needs to be to help the needy. Mary probably has no idea that what would, we, what would be done for the poor with her wasted perfume was worth 10 million times 300 denarii. In this single deed, she's prepared his body for burial before his death, which follows with the Jewish custom. After a person would die, they would anoint that person's body, put it in a cave, and as it sort of decayed, then it would be moved to a, to a tomb. She's foreshadowed the blood of Christ that he is going to willingly pour out for us. And she is showing us that there is nothing that is to be placed higher in our lives than the gospel. This is an affirmation that neither the pure nard poured out for Jesus Christ nor the blood that Jesus Christ pours out for us is wasted. And Jesus goes on to commemorate her act by stating that wherever the gospel is talked about in the whole world, what she has done will be talked about in memory of her. Her story is now part of the gospel. It's part of his story. Not because what she did came from her, but because what she did was to recognize him. It was a demonstration of what happens in a life touched by our Savior. And after all, what's the gospel if it's not good news for the poor and news to be celebrated? And this sort of brings us full circle. The beginning of this passage, we see the religious leaders and their plan to arrest and kill Jesus. 
we see Mary's act of worship, and we recognize that our Savior is worth giving our all to and for. And now we hear about Judas going to the chief priests to betray Jesus. And I can only guess, and many who are much smarter than me have speculated as to why Judas has done this. The first line of thought is that Judas, being the only non-Galilean member of the Twelve, is responding to an official notice notice that is mentioned in John 11.57. Some say that maybe he was so disillusioned by Jesus' lack to set up a political kingdom, he saw no gain, material gain for himself. Or maybe his love for money moved him to salvage even just a small bag of coins for himself. But we all know that ultimately he came under the control of Satan to betray his teacher. So Judas submits to the temptation of money and seeks an opportunity to betray Jesus. With Judas' offer, it moves up the timeline of the, the religious leaders. Remember, they were going to wait till after the feast. And this timeline completely stays in God's time. It was always in the plan for God to redeem creation through the death of his son. Through his son's sacrifice for us on a cross. And now, as we look to the communion table, we see the bread and the juice. And we're reminded of of what Jesus did for us. We're reminded that that night before his arrest, he sat in the upper room and shared one final meal with all of his disciples, including Judas. We're reminded of the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood for us. And my question is, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to go from here and slide back into whatever routine we have Flip on the game, take a nap on the couch, slide into work on Monday through Friday, Saturday relax, Sunday show up back here again? Or whenever we eat and drink, are we going to be reminded of the sacrifice that Christ made for us? Are we going to be reminded that we are, with our whole being, called to give everything we have and are to Christ? That's the life he's calling us to as Christians. That's how we as Missio Dei can respond to him and the gift that he has freely given to us. And in that response, a deeper connection with Christ and God will lead us to deeper connections here. It will lead us to ways that we can help one another, that we can come along people who are struggling financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically. It's putting ourselves aside every day and looking towards what Jesus would have for us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be invited to the table. I'm going to leave some quiet time in this prayer for you to settle your heart, to gaze into your life a little bit, and look at those things, be it fear, be it power, be it money, like the religious leaders or Judas, those things that cause you to pull away from Jesus. And look at how you can crucify those along with Christ today.
coming to this table is a sacred act. Do some real self-examination before you come up here. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you love us, a fallen people. You love us enough to send us your word, and more so to send us your son. Take our place, God. Not as just a moral teacher or a good person to follow but that you have sent Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. And Father God, this morning, as we hear about an example of this woman who gave of what she had, who had the courage to step into a room, to go against the grain, for no other reason than to bring glory to your Son. Father God, I thank you for pages upon pages of Scripture that remind us that we are to live our lives in a way that make us less and make you more. God, as a community of Missio Dei, Lord, I pray pray that, that you would place a special blessing here, in this time, in this place, in this moment, that we would be a people who go from here with a more clear understanding of what your gospel really means in our lives. Of the transformational power that is in those pages. Father God, of relationships that will deepen as we deepen our relationships with you. And God, as we prepare to come to the table, to share in this meal of communion together, God, I pray that the the depth of this meal wouldn't be lost to us. God, that it wouldn't be routine, that it wouldn't be something we just do as Missio Day. But God, as we take the bread, and as we dip it in the juice, we are reminded of a man, both fully God and fully human, hanging on a cross for our sins. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this table is open to all. But I invite you, if if you haven't professed Christ as your Savior with your lips and know him in your heart, sit back, watch this. If you're planning on coming up today, like I said, there's, there's no rush to get up here. Take some time. Pray. If you need to make a phone call, step out. If you need to talk to someone in this room, please do so. Maybe if if we could even have some people in the back of the room that would be willing to stand back there. If if you would like prayer for anything, they'll do that with you. Maybe Sarah and Katie, you guys. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
sitting with his disciples, he took a loaf of bread. Holding up, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Say to you, whenever you eat of this bread, think of me. And in the same way, he picked up a glass and filled it, saying, This is my blood, poured out for you as a new covenant. Whenever you drink of this blood, remember me. Would those who are serving please come forward? Here at Monsieur Day, we receive communion uh, by means of intinction, which means you'll come up to one of the two stations, you'll take a piece of bread, the body of Christ, and you'll dip it in the juice, the blood of Christ. And a proper response to this would be, Amen, or praise God. There's baskets next to each station. Uh, Those are for our benevolence offering. If you feel led to make an offering towards benevolence, that money doesn't go to our operating fund at all. That money allows us as a community to reach within and outside of ourselves to help those that have a need. So now come, not in any rush, but come when you're ready, for all things are prepared.